Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA. It is Tuesday, May 17th, and I tell you what, planting is pressing forward across the country. We had the crop progress report out yesterday, and even though the bulk of the country is still running behind on both corn and soybean plantings, they did make a lot of progress in this past week, despite the variable weather windows across the country. On today's show, we're going to talk about planting and what to expect as this year goes on and 23 gets started with regard to fertilizer. Corey Rosenbush, the CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, will join us here in just a little bit. And then in segment three, we're going to speak with Quill Robinson. He's the vice president of government affairs at the American Conservation Coalition, and I tagged Quill because I wanted to talk about this new Department of Justice, Office of Environmental Justice. What are they going to be doing? What's all this about? Quill has those details for us in segment three, and at the end of the show, we're watching this cattle market still struggle to catch a bid today. Chris Swift of Swift Trading Company will join us in segment four, and we'll look out to the future of the cattle trade. But first, while we're thinking of livestock, folks, I wanted to check in on the sheep and wool industries. Joining me now is Peter Orwick. He's the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Peter, thanks for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. I wanted to reach out to you because this past week, or I guess it's been two weeks ago now, USDA announced a program, a designed as an assistance program rather, for cotton and wool producers. That got me wondering, Peter, how has the wool market fared since coronavirus kind of took center stage? The uh, wool market, uh, we split it about uh, 40% is domestic mills uh, that, uh, that buy American wool. And the other nearly 60% is exported. Uh, the largest share of the textile business in the world is, is offshore from the, from the United States. We were already in a bit of a bind on the wool side just from the tariffs, uh, the retaliatory tariffs on China. Uh, that was hurting our exports uh, before the pandemic. And then, of course, when the pandemic hit, it, uh, it really took a, took a, uh, a setback and, and we struggled. So uh, what we're seeing at the farm ranch gate now for wool sales is if you're on the finer end that we're going into slacks, sport coats, suits, uh, that market has improved pretty dramatically. The other end of the market on woolen side, the, the coarser wools that uh, don't go into the finer end of apparel, uh, those wools are really sticky yet for price. So as you think about this cotton and wool apparel assistance program, this is money, $50 million between cotton and wool that's designed to go to those mills, right? And then the idea is they could then pay a higher price in the countryside for cotton or excuse me, wool. You know, the, uh, as, as you can imagine, the pandemic really shut down the demand for both the uh, you know, uh, dress slacks, sport coats, suits. I mean, it just fell off a cliff for uh, for a year and a half. So we're starting to see that rebound as, as people go back into the office environment. So that's encouraging. Uh, the cotton shirt business saw the same thing the wool did. Uh, folks weren't out there buying office uh, business attire uh, in the remote work setting. So this was very well-timed and uh, well-designed by USDA uh, to respond uh, to the processors uh, who've really been been struggling. You know, and part of it is it's supply chain and labor. Uh, the mills that we sell to, um, who, by the way, uh, supply all the American military servicemen and women, all their uniforms uh, in every branch is all American wool. And those mills, every step of the process, are all American companies. So it's it's almost doubly important for the U.S. Uh, to have a strong uh, supply processing chain in the woolen uh, industry. 
Absolutely. So I'm glad to hear there's some assistance coming to those mills. Peter, I want to talk about the other segment of the sheep industry, which is, of course, the lamb side. We've heard from U.S. Meat Export Federation that lamb exports have been moving at a pretty good clip this year. And I wondered, are we seeing that same trend here domestically? Are Americans digging into lamb? They are. We uh, we had nearly a 19% increase in volume in 2021 of uh, lamb at the retail sector. And, you know, the bottom line was is when those shelves, uh, when the meat cases uh, emptied out uh, two years ago uh, this month, uh, people, uh, customers uh, moved further down the meat case and they found lamb and they bought it. And a lot of them really liked it and they've been coming back. So if you asked most of us what we thought a pandemic was going to do to our industry, uh, we obviously didn't have a, didn't have a clue. Uh, but similar to the assistance that USDA provided uh, for, uh, for the wool mills, uh, they also did a great job in 2020 helping us uh, get payments into sheep producers and in particular lamb feeders. When the pandemic hit, we were loaded up for Easter Passover, the single largest marketing period of the entire year. Uh, so the price fell out of bed, uh, reduced by half. So we really had, we had hundreds of thousands of lambs that should have been going in the marketplace, uh, but the plants uh, weren't open or they were at a very reduced rate for, for several months. Now that the pandemic is coming to an end, Peter, what is the situation on the farms and ranches across the country where the bulk of these sheep are grown? They're confronting higher input prices. Is drought still a concern for a lot of these uh, sheep producers? It is. We have such a large share of our production comes out of the Intermountain West and the Western U.S., and most of those areas are really struggling with, uh, with both surface water and feed. Uh, if you can find feed, if you can find grazing, uh, it's at a premium uh, price. We've seen some improvement. Uh, Montana, the Dakotas, Wyoming, areas there that certainly have improved. They look like they may have a chance to grow grass and, and make it work better. Other areas, Colorado, uh, Utah, uh, New Mexico, Texas, uh, they're really in a, in a tough spot feed-wise uh, now. So it's going to be a little dicey if they're, if they're able to do, uh, you know, there's so much of the shearing lambing uh, that's going on right now. Just, uh, you know, a lot of them time it, have, uh, have those lambs on the ground about the time green grass is supposed to come. Before we let you go, Peter, you mentioned the retaliatory tariffs from China. Are there any other policy issues you're watching here in 2022? We're, uh, you know, the uh, livestock trucking, uh, that's been a big issue uh, for us as we move through. Now we're, we're looking uh, at appropriations, obviously, we do every year, but we're starting to gear up now for the, for the farm bill. Uh, anything we can do uh, to help out. Actually, the wool processors, um, they were, uh, USDA was able to, uh, to do this uh, pandemic assistance because there is a regular program uh, that, that works for these mills uh, at USDA. So they were familiar with the companies and had a way to deliver the assistance. That was one of the key things, I think, to making this work. So that'll be another key point to keep into the next farm bill. All right, making progress. Those farm bill discussions already underway, folks. We've been talking to Peter Orwick, the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. You can find their website at sheepusa.org. Peter, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick with us. Corey Rosenbush, CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, will join us in segment two to talk about the policy issues impacting that economic space. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, Soil Date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. 
Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> a heads up before something bad happens. You should not send that text. Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for tuning in today to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. One topic that has probably seen more words written about it over the past year than nearly anything else in the ag sector has been fertilizer. From the price spikes we saw last year to the supply chain disruptions that continue to move that industry, fertilizer has been in the headlines. Well, joining me today is Corey Rosenbush. He is the CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. And Corey, the United States has an incredibly diverse fertilizer industry industry, and yet we've still found a lot of areas that could see some improvement here in 2022. Isn't that right? Well, it, it, you know, to your comment about fertilizer being in the news, I had a, uh, an interesting conversation with a, a legacy member of the industry who has been working in fertilizers for four decades, and his, his joke was, I've seen more articles written, written about fertilizer in the last month than I have my entire career. So, uh, we are front and center, and, and to your point, Mark, um, going into the spring season, everyone was really focused on whether they would have supply and availability and uh, what the price would be. And so, you know, as we're, as we're approaching, uh, you know, the, the heart of planting, uh, I think uh, most, most members and most uh, companies in the industry feel that uh, we're in a really good spot from a supply standpoint. Obviously, I think you had some demand destruction with weather-related events and price that uh, that led us to be in that that position. But that's that's not the case all, all over the world right now. And I think long-term, people are concerned about food security in places like Africa and South Asia, and uh, what what the long-term um, uh, yield yields will look like as as we move forward. And and of course, you do have to look at it all from a, an NP and K standpoint, and every every nutrient is different. 
That is the truth. Every nutrient is different. We produce a bunch here on our shores, Corey, but we also rely on the rest of the world to really keep American production up. As you think about policy actions that we could see from Washington, D.C. that would improve either the availability or perhaps the price of fertilizer across the country, what are a couple of policy changes you'd like to see made at TFI? Well, great, great question, Mark, because we have uh, really pivoted from a conversation on education where, you know, the last six months I've spent a lot of times with, with farmers and, and farm groups trying to help them understand what's driving the market. And we did the same here in Washington, D.C. with policymakers. Uh, my, my, my joke is that I would always enjoy asking a member of Congress what they're hearing in the district and what are the top issues their constituents are, are calling in about. And, you know, typically you'd hear about health care or, uh, you know, labor issues and, and taxes, and that has, that has changed. And now when I ask that question, it's fertilizer in, in rural districts. So we've been working with Congress on, on a set of policy solutions. And before I hit on them, I, I think to set the tone that you mentioned, Mark, um, from a baseline standpoint about uh, global production, you've, you've got the number one producer in the world being China. So 40% of all phosphates produced in the world come from China. A third of all nitrogen produced in the world comes from China. Um, you've got the second largest producer being Russia, who, who is a leader in, in all three nutrients, NP and K. Uh, they're, they're responsible for about 14% of, of urea, about 11% of, uh, of ammonia, and hydrous ammonia, and about 20% of the world's potash. So, all of all of that really does expose uh, the world to geopolitical events, and we're right in the middle of them. So, uh, on a short-term basis, uh, we do have a few things that we've been proposing um, for for um, you know policymakers to look at, and I'll start with the China issue. So, last year, China uh, made the decision to ban all fertilizer exports, and there's a lot of speculation as to why from you know, protectionist policies to cleaning the air for the Olympics. But the bottom line is they blocked all of those uh, uh, exports. And that was what really started to, to see. That's one of the things that really started to see the market uh, start to shift. So if you think about India, that's a large importer uh, of um, crop nutrients, and they get a lot of that from China. When you take that out of the marketplace, India has to go, has to go somewhere uh, in the world to, to find and make up for that volume. And so it did have a huge impact in working with policymakers and leaders to make sure that in their conversations and negotiations with China on trade issues, that this is one of the, the areas that, uh, that we'd like to see focus, uh, a focus. And we hear in June, China will make a decision on that. Um, and then all the typical things that I think every industry is focused on right now, from hours of service to truck weight, to the, the Jones Act issues, uh, we've been talking a lot with USDA about additional tools they can deploy with some of their cons conservation programs to incentivize growers to adopt uh, more nutrient stewardship practices. Now is the time we want every farmer to be looking at the four R's of nutrient stewardship of applying fertilizers at the right source rate, time, and place, because it's about being efficient and making sure every dollar counts. Uh, if you look at a long-term perspective, uh, this is really about bolstering domestic supply. Uh, how do we create an environment for businesses to expand production? And that can be anywhere from permitting that will, uh, streamlining permitting that allow for mining access to phosphate and potash, to phosphogypsum reuse. Currently, phosphate manufacturers in the United States have to take phosphogypsum, which is a uh, a byproduct of phosphate production and stack it, and, and, and it costs them hundreds of millions of dollars to maintain these mountains where everywhere else in the world uh, that is a product that gets reused to smart energy policy. And natural gas makes up uh, a large percentage of the feedstock for nitrogen. I want to circle back on the permitting issues that you highlighted there, Corey. We've heard from a lot of folks, mainly on the fossil fuel side, the crude energy production side, that permits have been slow in coming under this administration. Your members, if they're looking to expand, have they encountered that coming from this admin? 
Well, we, we've definitely seen a, um, a turning back of the dial, so to speak, on processing of some of those, those permits. I don't have specific examples necessarily to quote, um, but we did uh, have a recent uh, proposed revision to NEPA that came out under the administration that will, will really only increase uncertainty and cause additional delays in that federal permit, permitting process and boy, now is the time where we do not want to be delaying additional domestic production to come online. Right. Use these high prices to incentivize that production and get it rolling as fast as possible. Corey, I wanted to turn your focus to another uh, federal government list, and this is the U.S. Geological Survey, the list of their critical minerals. That doesn't include any fertilizer minerals at this point, does it? It is really shocking to us in this environment where you think about two of our critical fertilizer products serving an American farmer that is one of the most efficient, high-yielding agriculture areas in the world. And we do have potash and phosphate reserves here, but it doesn't exist everywhere in the world. There's only a finite amount of those resources. And so wherever God put those on the, plant, on the planet is where they are. And uh, potash was historically on the list, and the current proposed rule would eliminate or remove potash um, from the critical minerals list. And uh, we, we have been um, submitting comments, uh, working closely with the administration and uh, policymakers on Capitol Hill to urge USGS to not remove potash from that list. Uh, and we really we want to take it a step further and get phosphate on there as well. We believe that uh, phosphate rock, and we currently have to import phosphate rock for processing as well, um, should also be included. And, and what that list does is really allow, uh, again, back to the, the permitting process, a streamlined and more reliable uh, path for, for those uh, facilities to uh, produce those fertilizers. So basically, if, if I'm a, a phosphate producer and I've got a mine, being on the critical minerals list gives lets me kind of jump the line a little bit in getting that into production. Would that be right? Yeah, that's correct. It, 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 it helps streamline. It, it gives preferred status to those critical minerals so that uh, that there is a, a greater level of which permitting is, is permitting and efficiency are hard words to use in the same 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 uh, sentence, but it does at least allow for a greater deal of efficiency in that process. And that not only includes to build a new plant, um, but also to actually access um, public lands or private lands to, to actually mine those, those minerals. Corey, before we let you go, for listeners who want to get plugged in and stay up to date on issues in the fertilizer industry, where can they keep up with the work the Fertilizer Institute is doing? Well, these days, on just about any media show, um, we've been doing a lot to, to provide that information. But visit us at our website, CFI.org, and uh, we're continuing to update the current market situation and, and what's going on. Well, good luck. We all need fertilizer out there in the countryside, folks. That was Corey Rosenbush, CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. Stay with us. Quill Robinson, Vice President of Government Affairs from the American Conservation Coalition, will join us after the break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils, oil that runs smart. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we take a look at the market trade, the soy complex is off to a great start here this morning as we see double-digit strength in beans and moderate strength in meal and oil. Wheat markets were lower overnight with profit-taking being seen there, although we have recovered well off the lows and we're trading just below unchanged right now in fairly quiet action. The cord market has traded um, slightly lower here this morning, uh, pushing a little bit lower here as we work through our mid-morning trade. USDA's crop progress report showed corn planting 49% done nationwide, soybeans at 30% with obvious problems getting started in North Dakota and in Minnesota. Spring wheat planting progress remaining slow with just uh, Minnesota at 5% planted, well behind the five-year average of 75%. North Dakota 17% planted um, behind the five-year average of 60%. Winter wheat condition ratings also dropped this week to just 27% good to excellent. We have this week's Wheat Quality Council Tour in the Southern Plains, and that's likely to show just how rough some of that crop is as we work through the heading stage. Current numbers, July corn down 7 at a quarter, 802 at a quarter. December down 4 at a half, 761. July beans up 15 at 3 quarters, 1672 at a quarter. November up 10 at 3 quarters, 1522 at 3 quarters. Bean meal up about a dollar and bean oil up around 70 to 80 points. July Chicago wheat down 1 at a quarter, 1246 at a quarter. July Kansas City wheat down 5 at a half, 1346 at a half. Spring wheat July 2 at a quarter lower, 1382 at 3 quarters. June live cattle up 5, 133.22. Feeder cattle for May down 2, 157.37. June hogs down 42, down 103.40. Crude oil currently up $1.06 at 115.26. The Dow Jones up 282 points. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to AOA. I'm excited to be talking to everybody today. We are very pumped. We are going to be speaking with Quill Robinson from the American Conservation Coalition here in just a few minutes. We are working on getting that connected. In the meantime, I do want to bring you up to speed on what we're going to be talking about, because I think this is a big concern that we have, or at least it's an issue that should be on a lot of folks' radars. And this is an announcement came on Thursday. May 5th, so just a, a few weeks ago here now, and it came from the Attorney General. Merrick Garland announced in coordination with Michael Regan, the head of the EPA, a series of environmental actions. Uh, they came together and they launched a couple of different things. The first thing is the Office of Environmental Justice. We will be talking with Quill about that office. What are they going to do? This is going to exist inside the Justice Department, and it is specifically going to target environmental crimes. They also came out, and this was on the on behalf of Attorney General Garland, announced a new comprehensive environmental justice enforcement strategy. I tell you folks, in combination with the NEPA announcement uh, that Corey Rosenbush mentioned in that last segment, that's the National Environmental Policy Act. We've discussed it a few times on the program here uh, several weeks ago. If you missed that, this was an announcement in order to bring uh, 
basically more teeth to the National Environmental Policy Act. As Corey described it in segment three, this is the permitting process that everything that gets federal funding has to go through. And you have to meet and check all of these boxes under NEPA before Uncle Sam will grant your permit. Well, these changes that the government made to NEPA here a few weeks ago is going to require a lot bigger survey of potential impacts of the project being funded. So for example, if you want to put a highway, you know, for example, through some area, as of now, you've got to survey what the impact of that highway would be on the area where you're passing through it and what some of the long-term impacts might be. Increased traffic, right? Uh, perhaps greater emissions as those vehicles are passing through. Under the new NEPA proposal, this would require that highway builder to assess not just the impact of the ground around it, but the real long-term economic, or excuse me, environmental consequences. You gotta track the water flow, what all could you impact as this goes through? And all of these things are going to most likely delay a lot of the permitting process for those large-scale projects. We also are seeing this work with this new Justice of Environment, excuse me, Office of Environmental Justice, which was announced, as I mentioned here, a few weeks ago. We do have Quill Robinson on the line, so let's get Quill into the call here. And Quill, we've been talking just a little bit about the environmental policies that are being pursued by this Biden administration, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So this Office of Environmental Justice was announced a few weeks ago from the DOJ and the EPA. Quill, what is this office going to be doing and why does it need to exist separately from the Department of Justice? Sure. Well, we've seen the Biden administration place a big priority on the issue of climate change, and they've made environmental justice a big part of this. And from my understanding, you know, this office is going to be focused on uh, fence line communities, frontline communities that are facing, uh, you know, pollution, disproportionate effects of pollution and other climate change effects and examining different ways that they can support that. Now, I, you know, as a conservative, sometimes I'm concerned when I hear environmental justice and that that can sometimes mean uh, sort of uh, using climate change as an excuse to advance different progressive priorities. I really think that we need to give this uh, office a fair shot and see, um, you know, I think that this term environmental justice can actually mean be something that's much broader and something that conservatives can, uh, you know, learn from as well. And that there are a lot of uh, a lot of communities that include conservative communities that, um, you know, that are uh, also affected by environmental justice concerns. And so I'm trying to keep an open mind here, and I think we'll have to wait and see. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of us, Quill, out there who like the environment. I want this earth to be as clean as possible for future generations, but I also like the fact that we have diesel fuel and have energy that can keep this country running. I, you mentioned as a conservative, both in the sense of conserving, conserving the environment and obviously politically conservative, what can we be excited about? What are you excited about as you look to Washington, D.C. on the environmental issues front? Are there more free, pro-free market policies that are being proposed in D.C.? Yeah, absolutely. I think in the last year in particular, we've seen Republicans and conservatives get a lot more engaged in the climate change conversation and different environmental conversations. Um, and so I think that that's a, that's a really encouraging sign that, uh, you know, the environment and climate is not being so not as partisan as it was before. You know, some of the things that I'm most excited about are particularly this, this topic of natural climate solutions, which is something that my organization, the American Conservation Coalition, has been, coalition has been working on. And essentially what that means is investing in uh, resilience um, and different uh, practices that can increase the sequestration capacity, the carbon sequestration capacity of, uh, of natural ecosystems. And I think that that's something that really appeals to conservatives because it's something that particularly agricultural communities and rural communities can be part of and sort of be on the front lines of climate solutions rather than being victimized by uh, top-down, you know, heavy-handed climate policies. And so that's something I'm, I'm particularly excited about. 
Well, and that dovetails with a concern I hear a lot from growers when I'm out on the road. They hear this topic of conversation, this topic of conversation being climate change discussed all the time. And the conversation is always, we need to pull carbon out of the air and stick it in the ground. And then, of course, we look at our backyards here in agriculture, and that's what everything we do does. Do you think there's an area where we can see agriculture really be seen as part of the solution as opposed to building fans to suck CO2 out of the ocean? and pump it into the ground? I, I certainly hope so. I mean, who, who understands the importance of conservation better than ranchers and farmers and producers? I mean, it, you know, really, uh, these folks are the original conservationists in America. And so, uh, yeah, and I mean, the science shows and many clim climate scientists are increasingly interested in the capacity of, uh, you know, whether you're, you own forest land or you're uh, producing certain crops, how we can make um, you know, can implement practices that can sequester more carbon dioxide naturally. And I think there's an increasing awareness in the climate community how important the agricultural community is when it comes to conservation. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm optimistic. I think that, uh, you know, it's really, so the, the, the agricultural community really has some of the simplest and most elegant solutions to this issue of climate change. And there's an increasing recognition here in D.C. and among the climate community that we need to be working in a collaborative way rather than penalizing these communities. So you mentioned the National Climate Solutions. And could you tell us a little bit more detail about that specific basket of proposals and what the uptake has been on Capitol Hill so far? Sure. So natural climate solutions essentially means uh, practices that help sequester carbon dioxide and uh, increase resilience in natural ecosystems. Uh, you mentioned how there, there are some efforts among scientists to create machines that sequester carbon dioxide out of the air. Uh, trees do that already and plants do that already. They're really the original carbon capture machines. And so essentially what natural climate solutions mean, it means is using nature to fight climate change. Um, and that's, that's something that is getting a lot of interest here in Washington, D.C. I'd point to the Growing Climate Solutions Act, um, which is a, a bill that passed through the Senate, 92 to 8. Very few pieces of legislation get that much support in, um, from both parties these days in Washington, D.C. Essentially what that bill would do is make it easier for farmers and ranchers and foresters to get um, to, to receive payment from other private sector actors to implement practices that increase sequestration and resilience. Uh, and then there's, you know, other proposals like the Trillion Trees Act, which would uh, support planting more trees across the United States to sequester carbon. I, I'm really seeing this as one of the most bipartisan areas of climate policy right now. Uh, and there's a lot more that can be done. And, and really, any ecosystem with all the diversity of ecosystems that we have across the United States has some sort of practice or some sort of restoration thing that we can do that can increase its climate resilience and help us sequester more carbon dioxide. Quill, before we let you go, I want to ask you again another question I get from folks when I'm out speaking around the country and the topic of climate change comes up. The question is always, isn't this just a fad? These folks get ideas in their heads. They beat that drum real hard for 10 years and then we just need to wait until they move on to a new topic. As a conservative looking at environmental issues, Quill, is climate change just a fad that eventually they'll find something new to focus on and we'll move on? Or is this an issue that, that we really should be engaging? Well, I think it's sometimes a, a topic that's overblown, and sometimes uh, <laughs> some people are a bit overdramatic about it. But the reality is, is that we put 51 billion tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere per year, and that's a that's a lot of pollution. And you know, I, I, we've been doing that since the Industrial Revolution, and that's got to be having an effect on on the quality of our environment. Uh, now, I don't think that that. Uh, necessarily requires to run around with our requires us to run around with our hair on fire, um, screaming about a green new deal. But I think that there are some really pragmatic, common sense things that we can do to reduce our emissions and sequester carbon dioxide that will um, will help stabilize our climate and make sure that uh, American communities are are safe and healthy and sustainable for generations to come. And I really think that that's something that we can all share. And, and identifying what those common sense solutions are is something that we should be working on together. And Quill, of course, the American Conservation Coalition keeps updating their policies and proposals. Where can folks stay up to date with the latest information, the latest work that you folks have been doing? Sure. Well, I'd encourage uh, your audience to check us out at acc.eco. Um, we're also on Twitter and other uh, social media sites at ACC National. So um, thanks so much for, for having me. And I would love to, you know, love for folks to check us out and reach out because we 
put a big priority on working with uh, agricultural communities. All right, folks, let's be part of the solution. Our thanks to Quill Robinson. He's the vice president of government affairs at the American Conservation Coalition. And stick around for more AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk cattle with Chris Swift of the Swift Trading Company when we return after this break. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Matt Serdick, CHS Health and Safety Manager, about farm safety reminders and tips going into spring. What safety reminders should farmers keep top of mind as the season begins? Really, I'm going to focus on driving. You know, we're going to start getting onto those roads and starting getting from point A to point B. And really, it comes. we talked a little bit about it. It's the soft shoulders. You know, those field entrances, those can lead to a lot of issues, um, but also watching out for when we're taking machinery and equipment down the road at you know, dawn and dusk with lights and reflectors, making sure that those are operational, and we're good to go so drivers can see you um, and you can also see them. One thing we talk about here in CHS is an acronym called ACT. It's anticipate, concentrate and take action. And what, am I, what I mean by that is anticipating. So when you're on the roadways, watching for cars in and around you, concentrating. So eliminating those distractions, the cell phones, the radio, things like that. So your focus is on the roadway. And the last one is that take action, you know, be able to drive defensively, make a maneuver, but also just protect yourself as well. 
Well, planting season often requires long hours. Matt, how can people make sure they're taking care of themselves during this busy time of year? And it's something that we could often forget about. You know, we're so focused on getting the job done that we don't take care of ourselves. You know, when we're not out in the field, we're not busy, it's making sure that we're taking care of our bodies. We're getting plenty of sleep, we're eating the right foods, we're drinking the right liquids, but we're just, you know, taking care of ourselves. We truly have that downtime because if we push ourselves too far, that's where that fatigue can really set in and mistakes can happen. Well, we want to be able to, to try to get the job done that we're taking care of our bodies just as much. That's true. That's Matt Cernick, CHS Health and Safety Manager. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for tuning in to the show. We are looking at the markets today, and we've got a little bit of red on the screen in the corn market, some big green in soybeans, and we're seeing the livestock markets, both sides of unchanged today. Well, to give us a little insight in these livestock markets is Chris Swift. He's the principal at Swift Trading Company. And Chris, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. I wanted to pick your brain first on feeder cattle. Corn is down today, but we're still seven sixty to eight bucks. We see input prices rising, and I look at these feeder prices, Chris, at one sixty-seven to one seventy-four from August through November, and I've got to think those seem a little strong. What's your take on the feeder market? You know, it's been very interesting, Mike. We believe that the strength in the feeder cattle market is a testament to how low the actual numbers are. So we see that the cow, invent uh, cow inventory has increased, slaughter, cow slaughter inventory has increased. We know that heifer placement has increased, but we've not really seen a large placement of fed steers. We know that they're kind of equal to last year, these last couple of months, simply because of the drought. Now when we get into the May and June time frames this year, I have a feeling that we're not going to be placing near as many steers onto the market, yet we probably won't see a great big difference in beef production for several more months until we get rid of the cow slaughter and keep uh, stop, slow down the uh, heifer placement a little. So for these folks that are stepping into the breach here, they're buying feeders on the come, hoping that we do get that tightness in the supply chain a little farther down the line. How are you managing those input costs in this environment, Chris? Well, you know, there's really not much that you can do. Um, a lot of people got caught off guard once corn started breaching above 5 and $6 a bushel. That's where they started buying at. So they have always incurred the higher input cost. And, and all, honestly, I, I really don't think that there is much that they can do. Now that, uh, that we've seen some time go by, the prices have risen, and we've had enough time to go by that anything purchased cheaper in the past has now been consumed, and everything that we are putting into those today are at the more uh, at their at the higher prices well with no break coming on the supply side then Chris we're gonna need to make this up on the back end with the sale of those fat animals as you look at the overall health of the beef demand globally and domestically how is it shaping up as we head into summer you know, we haven't seen a great deal of change. We've seen the boxes move back down to under 260, and they've traded between 248 and, and 255 for several weeks now. What we're not seeing is an explosive beef trade out there. So we look at the restaurant business still being somewhat impacted by the COVID restrictions, and we understand that the grocery stores are trying their best to keep as much meat product on the shelves as they possibly can, but it's just not quite moving at a rate that you would think that it has been in the past. So I believe that there are some uh, nuances there that's starting to see the consumer shift in discretionary spending habits. But in all honesty, it, it's nothing noticeable just yet. All right. It's not noticeable, Chris. As you look ahead to this week, we've got the June and August live cattle contracts trading right around 133. In the short term, is the bias going to be to the upside or to the downside in the live cattle trade as you think heading into, say, the month of July? 
probably neither one. I think it's going to remain sideways simply because of the elevated cow slaughter, uh, the elevated number of cattle on feed, a seasonal tendency to increase carcass weights. I think the combination of all that and, and a positive basis now with 140, 141 cash, and as you said, the future is between 34 and 35, maybe all we do is converge basis a little bit. We see the futures market rise up into the upper 130s and maybe cash slips a little bit to the lower 130s, and that's where you converge basis is in that area. We're always looking for the bullish story here in the cattle market. These cattle feeders are intensely optimistic people. Chris, look out, third quarter, fourth quarter, 2022, do we start to see that tightness in supply move prices higher? Um, I think what you're going to see is rain. If it starts to rain and we know that next year we can heal the pastures to produce a hay crop, that we can carry these cows and the big cow herds in the Norwegian areas where it's been so drought-laden, then you're going to see all of the cows start to be pulled off of the kill mix. You'll see all the heifers pulled out of the kill mix, and you will make for an instantaneous shortage of cattle to the market. I think that's what the trade is looking for is that same aspect of what we saw in the 2013 and 14 timeframes where we pulled enormous amounts of breeding animals out of the slaughter pace and put them back into the breed cycle, and that created that shortage. Whether it happens this year or that way, this time or not, I don't know. But clearly, I think that's what everybody has in their mind is they have seen in the past what the market has done. They're anxious for that to happen again. Indeed, that seems to be the case. Chris, the rainfall you're going to be watching for, is it that Southern Plains rain? Is that where we're really going to see the impact of this? Uh, I think it's in the northern place. I think the Montana, uh, North and South Dakota areas, uh, in the uh, Wyoming, Nebraska, those areas there are the ones that have been decimated the most. I think that's where you got to see. Although the plains where we see down into Texas and all, I know that they have been dry as well too. They tend to live more in drought areas than the ones in the north, so they might be a little bit more prepared for it with some irrigation. Uh, but yet, I don't think it's as serious down south as what it is in north right now. All right, Chris, of course, before we let you go, the hog market has also been wild for the past year. Is the, are the highs in here in hogs? Are we, are we done taking a look at the 130s in the lean hog market? I think for the time being, we are. Clearly, China has done an excellent job at increasing their um, uh, hog production in a controlled environment. So once they were able to put that hog production in a controlled environment, feed it a clean feed source, their production has skyrocketed to, to above what it was prior to uh, the breakout of the African swine fever. So with that combination, the U.S. has been curtailing its hog uh, production for over two years now. So maybe we see some kind of expansion to take place in the next few quarters, but I don't think that they're going to right now. All right, lots to keep an eye on in these markets in the months ahead. Our thanks to Chris Swift of Swift Trading Company in Nashville, Tennessee for joining us. Chris, we always appreciate your insights. Thank you very much, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk to House Ranking Member on the Ag Committee about crypto, believe it or not. We're also going to check in with our friend Arlen Suderman and Scott Richmond from the RFA will be on the show. So tune in on Wednesday to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. If you're not filling with Cenex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Cenex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number 2 diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.